You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Every year, we, we think next year we'll have solved the phishing problem, but it just seems to be a pesky problem that doesn't go away. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Later in the show, we've got my interview with Chris Bailey. He's from Entrust Data Card. We're going to talk about uh, how to detect lookalike sites online and better protect ourselves from fraud. And we are back. Joe, before we get into our stories this week, we got a note from one of our regular listeners. Mm -hmm. This is Russell from Down Under. Okay. And before I say Down Under, I really want to say Down Under with an Australian accent. Right. But Russell wrote in and said, if you read this on air, please don't try an Australian accent. <laughs> a specific said, request from yes, Russell. Yes. He said, your attempt last week at Slab's accent was so bad, I nearly drove off the road laughing so hard. So, uh, all right, Russell, thank you for listening. I will resist. <laughs> resist the urge. <laughs> the urge to do my terrible Australian accent. I wonder how good Russell would be at doing an American accent. I'd like to hear anybody do an American accent. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to our stories. Uh, Joe, you're up first. What do you have for us? My story this week comes from security firm Agari. Mm -hmm. And you covered this story briefly on the Cyberwire last week, but I wanted to get a little bit more into it. Agari has a report out, and I've kind of gone through it. It's a great report. I recommend everybody download it. They have identified a group called London Blue. Mm. All right. And this is a Nigerian gang that is focusing on business email compromise. And in this report, they go into the evolution of the gang and how they're structured and everything. They have found that they have extended their operations from not just Nigeria, but now they have two operatives in the UK, at mm. least two operatives. And they've identified 17 collaborators of this group here in the United States and Western Europe and other countries, but they're primarily involved in moving funds. So these are money mules. When you build an organization like this whose job is to go out and scam people and you start getting in money, one of the problems you have is – what do you do with that money? Right. How do you launder it? Right. Well, these guys have have set themselves up. They actually work like an actual corporation. Hmm. They have an HR organization for going out and recruiting people like money mules and, and other scammers. They have <laughs> uh, a sales force that is actually the people that go out and try to do the scams. And they have a financial organization that does the, the money laundering once, wow. once they've gotten uh, gotten the funds in from somebody. Their effectiveness depends on working with data brokers, commercial data brokers, actual yeah. real data brokers. And here's the main crux of the story is that they have generated a list of more than 50,000 corporate officials to prepare for business email compromise operations. Among them, 71% of these people are CFOs. Uh, so they're, two chief financial officers. Exactly. They're yeah. targeting chief financial officers and they're going to try to get them to move money around into these fraudulent accounts. So this is a, basically a, a phone book full of the people who, who you want to target for these sorts of exactly. things. Exactly. That's yeah. what they've, they've done their research. They've worked with these commercial data brokers and they've amassed this not necessarily open source information because they're using commercial source for this. Oh, I see. But they've gone out and they've built a, essentially, like you said, a phone book of 50,000 people, high value targets. Now, what are they doing with it? They're targeting people mainly in the United States. Over half of the potential 50,000 victims are U.S. people. Hmm. And then other countries include Spain and, and Finland and U.K. and 
other places. But they're going to try to do money transfer scams with this stuff. So you may ask yourself, how did Agari find out about London Blue? Mm, okay. Well, here's a quote from the report. <laughs> I, I recommend you read it. In a move that can be described as felony stupid, London Blue targeted Agari with one of its typical attacks. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so these guys sent an email to the CFO of Agari posing as the CEO. And the copies of the email are in the report. And the assistant replies from the assistant's email saying, uh, our CFO is out. What do you need me to do? And starts and, and collects all the information. And then Agari essentially scam baits London Blue. And then uses the information that they get from them to notify the financial institutions so they can shut down the fraudulent accounts. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so this is a great story of a social engineering attack working on a social engineering organization whose goals are nefarious. Yeah. So good hats work, off. Hats off Agari. to Agari. Right. 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 Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have a link to the story in the show notes. Sounds like a fun one. It is. All right. Well, my story uh, this week is about Cyber Monday. So a couple of weeks ago, we had Cyber Monday. We had Black Friday, which here right. in the United States is the big shopping day right after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And that's followed by Cyber Monday. And I don't, I don't know why Monday became the cyber shopping day. It's not like you couldn't shop online on Thursday. Well, that's but, because that's your first day back to work, Dave, and you can goof off at I work see. by shopping. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Right. Of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. Okay. Yeah. All right. Makes total sense to me. Right. Uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, <laughs> So Not that I've ever done it. Nope. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Of course not. So the folks over at Zscaler wrote up a report about this. This is actually written by Deepin Desai, who's someone I've interviewed before. I think he's been on our research Saturday a couple times. Uh, good guy. And they looked at the phishing attacks that they were getting and blocking over at Zscaler to figure out what are the days when people are targeted the most. Now, I don't know about you. I would have expected that Cyber Monday probably would have been the big day, because that is the biggest shopping day. For online shopping. For right. online shopping, right. Amazon put out statistics. I believe it was their biggest shopping day ever. Right. Now, what Zscaler discovered by tracking these phishing attempts was that it was actually the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, that was the busiest day when it comes to phishing attempts. Huh. Now, why do you suppose that is? Any guesses? Uh, let me think about this one for a minute. Mm -hmm. All right, Dave, you stumped me. What, <laughs> what, I, I, well, I can't imagine why this Well, it's is. interesting. I mean, there were nearly twice as many fishing attempts many. on that Wednesday as there were actually on Cyber Monday. Huh. And the folks over at Zscaler say that these fishing people are smart, of course. And, right. and like you said in, in your story, they're running these things like a business. Yep. And what they've discovered is that... On actual Cyber Monday, when folks are shopping, they are much more likely to just key in the name of the place they want to go shopping. Ah. So they know they want to go to Amazon. I Type in Amazon.com. But on those days leading up to Cyber Monday, they're looking for a deal. Right. Because that's when all the emails are coming from all the companies that say, hey, Cyber Monday's coming. Check out our deals. Hmm. And so these phishing attempts take the form of those promotional emails I see. that say, you know, 20% off your Amazon. All you need to do is log on. And then right. they send you to a fake. A fake uh, login harvesting your credentials. Right, right, right exactly. So uh, uh, we'll have a link to this uh, in the show notes. It's an interesting story and not at all what I would have thought. So some interesting information from our friends at Zscaler. That is good information to have. You know, uh, both of these stories today are about companies that are essentially using themselves 
as honeypots, mm-hmm. right? Not not that they're being honeypots. I mean, they're they're just operating their normal businesses, but they're they're using the actual attacks that are coming into them to do good work. That's right. Yeah. And Zscaler, of course, part of their business is helping people block these things. Right. So they have a really good window into what's going on here. Absolutely. All right. Well, those are our stories. It's time to move on to our catch of the day. Joe, you've got the uh, duties for our catch of the day this week. What do we have here? All right. This one comes from Javier. And he says, hey there. Thanks for the great work on the podcast. Keep it up. I thought you might like this catch. I reeled it in on my Google Hangouts. So (laughs) someone is fishing him on Google Hangouts. All right. And it reads like this. Hi, I am a tender and caring woman who is looking for real, true feelings and love. I, Selena Williams, is my name, 33 years old, single from USA, Texas, Dallas, never been married, M-A-R-R-I-D, before, the letter B, the number four. I have no kids seriously looking for strong relationship and family as well. I am looking for a reliable man with good manners, not hot-tempered, kind and attentive, the one to be happy with forever. That's a run-on sentence. <laughs> the man for me is the person to respect, to care, and to love. Relationship is trust. I want to be a good support for my future husband and make him the happiest person, Eve. I think they meant ever. Probably, yes. Yeah. And then the next thing is an image of a very beautiful woman. Yes, I would say Sitting this, on a couch. Mm-hmm, I'd say this woman is of above average attractiveness. Yes. Yes, she's a long flowing brunette hair. She's sort of leaning back on a couch. She's uh, well-dressed, well-groomed. The celebrity she most resembles is Mila Kunis. Okay, looking right at the camera. Yep. Well, Joe, lucky for us, we have reverse image search from Google. Ah. So I did look up this image to see... Who this woman is. Okay. Turns out her name is Sonny Leone. Not Selena Williams? She is not Selena Williams. Oh, she is Sonny Leone. now. Who I just learned today is one of the stylish divas of Bollywood. Oh, okay. She is a style icon who never fails to impress her fans. In fact, she is married. Oh. She has several kids. Okay. <laughs> and, and by all accounts, a very successful career. So she does not need your help. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but you could certainly see how uh, this could be alluring. Yes. Pushing lots of buttons here. She's looking for everything, right? right. Yeah. There, there's nothing she's not looking for. That's she's, right. She's looking for, there's something in here for everyone that she's looking for. So, Well, she she's not looking for hot-tempered guys. That's Dave. true. So that rules you and I I'm out. out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But she wants to be happy forever. So. Yes. Or she wants to make make her man happy for Eve. There you go. Right. It's funny. We haven't had a straightforward kind of female-centered romance scam here. We've talked about some romance scams going after women, but I think this is the first one we've had where, where certainly with a picture like this. Right, yeah. It's interesting to me. I mean, they just copied and pasted a picture from this celebrity's photo gallery. Right. And maybe they were counting on the fact that maybe folks in the U.S. aren't familiar with Bollywood actresses. I mean, it's, you know, it's not like it's Julia Roberts or something. Right, in right, this right. Picture. So there you go. Pretty straightforward. But unfortunately, I could see uh, how people could fall for it. Yep. All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. Coming up next, we've got my interview with Chris Bailey. He's from Entrust Data Card. We're going to talk about detecting lookalike sites online and ways to better protect ourselves from fraud. 
And we are back. Joe, I recently had the opportunity to speak with Chris Bailey. He's from Entrust Data Card. And we talked about detecting lookalike sites online, as well as ways to protect ourselves from fraud. So here's my conversation with Chris Bailey. The first thing you might want to do is, if it is your bank, you might want to just type in the website of your bank directly into your browser. Another thing you can do, most people don't know about this, but many of the banks that you go to today, Bank of America or JPMorgan Chase or U.S. Bank, PayPal, when you go to those uh, websites, they'll have a special uh, indicator in the browser, and it's called an extended validation indicator. It actually will show you either the name of the organization and the country it's associated with, or it'll actually show you that information in green. And that actually is also a really good indicator for the average person to look and see if they're actually at their real bank. Now, can you give us some insight? What's going on under the hood here with this extended validation certificate? And how does it differ from uh, the regular lock symbol that we see in our browsers? Going back into the 90s, the lock symbol first started to appear. We were trained to look for the lock symbol. If you see the lock symbol, it's safe. Over time, the lock symbol has not actually meant the same thing as it did back then. Back then, it was a good idea to look for the lock symbol. But today, the lock symbol really just means that the website is encrypted. When you see the sites with the lock symbol, you know it's encrypted. But if you also see the identity information associated with them, let's say that the organization name is right there beside the, the lock symbol, then you know it's gone through a higher level of verification. And that verification involves the organization being vetted by a third party called a certification authority. And that process is pretty thorough. The CA, our certification authority, will actually go and try to figure out the company is legit, is is a company in good standing. It also will try to prove that the, the person who is associating or who's trying to request that identity has the right to do so. It's a very a different type of process than just getting an encrypted certificate, which is generally anonymous nowadays and you know, most of the time is free. Now, from the browser provider's point of view, this is a difficult thing to spoof or, or impossible. In other words, that company's name would not be displayed there had they not gone through this process? That's correct. It's a difficult thing to spoof. It actually has a very good track record of not being associated with the type of fraudulent activity, phishing, that we're talking about. You know, really, the primary reason is because we actually have to uh, identify you know, the participants in the process ordering these higher level of identification. The person who is trying to get it doesn't want to be identified if they actually are indeed trying to do something fraudulent because hmm. they just create a, a forensic trail for themselves. I see. For example, I'm looking at one right now from Twitter, and uh, it says Twitter Inc., and then in brackets it says U.S. What's the significance of the location indicator there? The location indicator means that the company, Twitter, is located in the U.S., and if you were to see that that organization was in RU, for example, that would mean it's in Russia. That Mm. might not be the place that you want to have your browser pointed to. So that is just an indicator that this is the organization, Twitter, that's located in the United States. 
So in terms of uh, you know consumers protecting themselves, not every organization is using this. What's sort of a, a best practice to make the best use of this additional security? The most commonly fished sites, generally, not all of them, but it's, it's increasing all the time, but they generally will have these types of certificates, identifiers in the sites. And so you can go to, let's say, Apple, or you can go to one of your banks where these will give you an increased level of, of assurance that you're actually at the right place. And because banks are so frequently attacked because they're a rich target for these types of fraudulent activities, the vast majority of banks actually have, at least the large ones, have these types of certificates. And it's increasing. It's been a, a trend in North America, at least, is the majority of them. Now, I'm looking at our own website here, the CyberWire, and I'm proud to say that we uh, take part in this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm curious, Excellent. you know, for, for small organizations who want to add this to, to give their customers that extra sense of uh, assurance and, and security, what, what's the process for going through this? Sure. Well, they'll need to work with their either their web hoster or go to a certification authority and directly and the certification authority will go about uh, trying to make sure that uh, the organization that is associated, that they're, they're claiming they're associated with, is indeed legitimate. So in order for us to do that as a certification authority, we literally will go to the Secretary of State and try to find the records that are associated with that. And uh, we go through uh, a few other processes as, you know, calling the, the person through those uh, connected lines. And we can do other mechanisms. We also want to make sure that they have access to that domain, that they're not actually trying to get something for, you know, for your example, you have CyberWire. It, we want to make sure that that is uh, indeed something they have legitimate access to and can control. And after we do that, we issue the certificate with the information of the organization that we've just gone through a verification process. And then that's placed on the website. And everything after that is automatic. It just shows the identity in the browser. So that information that's being displayed is actually generated from the validation organization, not the folks posting the website? it's actually cryptographically bound to something called a digital certificate. Hmm. And that digital certificate is placed on the server. And then the CA, the certification authority, really has only a few services it offers after the fact. They actually will maintain that, that the certificate is still in good standing uh, via uh, revocation uh, services, which are not commonly used, but we have to have that just in case it's needed. But the web hoster is the one that actually will ultimately um, bind that certificate to that website, and the browser does all the work after that. So what do you think, Joe? That's a really uh, interesting look under the hood of that particular uh, bit of technology there. Yeah, I think it's a, a great introduction to the feature of extended validation certificates. Yeah. First, I want to tell you that I can teach a novice how to create a fake web page in an afternoon. Okay. It's remarkably easy. It is essentially a copy and paste, and then you correct any errors that you have. Very simple to do it. Because HTML, the language that the web is, is laid out in, is just text that's copied down from the server when I request a web page, I can easily view that HTML. Yeah, yeah your browser just says it. you can view the code. Right. Yeah. I have to be able to see the code in order to see the web page, so therefore I can copy the code, no problem. Right. 
Right. And I can create a dummy website that looks exactly like a legitimate website in an afternoon. Yep. Or I could teach someone to do it in an afternoon. I can do it in an hour. A <laughs> um, couple things that Chris talked about here. Number one, type the address in yourself. Right. Always right? a good idea. Always a great idea. Never don't recommend that. He said that the CyberWire, you guys talked about the CyberWire yep. having one. We do. I, I, I wasn't directly involved with that, but I do remember conversations are about it. And, and I believe we did have to jump through some hoops. It was not insignificant, the, the proof that you have to provide uh, to, of who you are and how, how long you've been in business and so on and so forth. Yeah, Obviously, good. for us, in the, you know, we figured in the business that we're in, it'd be good for us to have the, the most security we could have. Correct. So yeah, it I was agree. worth the effort for yep. us. Yep. Well, that, it's great that, that it takes so much. I like what he said, that it creates a forensic trail. Yeah. Uh, and that and fraudulent people are not interested in doing that. Yeah. He named Bank of America has one. Mm -hmm. And that's great. We did a look around for local banks here in Maryland. Only one Sandy Spring Bank has a validation certificate. Yeah. It was interesting to me that uh, we were poking around. I guess I thought more would have it than, yeah. than it seems do. There are even some national banks that don't have this and they should all get on it right now. I'm it's not going to name names here, but. At some point in time, I will. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so you're on notice, thanks. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, one of the important features of these certificates, he talked about this briefly, is that they're revocable. And what happens during this process is your browser says, I got the certificate that's been signed by the certificate authority. And I asked the certificate authority, is this still a good certificate? And the certificate authority says yes or no. Mm -hmm. And usually it's yes. But the certificate authority needs to be able to say no. That's no longer a valid certificate. Right. So that right. keeps me from selling my certificate to bad guys. Right. Or, or having it compromised. Yeah. You know, let's, yep. let's say your certificate gets compromised and someone steals the keys to it. You need to be able to tell people, okay, that certificate's been stolen. Mm -hmm. Nobody consider that valid anymore. Yeah. That's the purpose of that. All right. Well, thanks again to Chris Bailey for joining us. And that is our show this week. We want to thank you all for listening. And of course, thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more about them at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Ivan. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.